Now on Radio 4, Mike Parker continues his journey through the world of map making. Today he investigates digital maps and discovers that thanks to the internet, we can all be cartographers, putting ourselves on the map. Well, I've got a, a domestic grade GPS device here, which I've just turned on and I'm trying to pick up a, a satellite signal. And it, what I've done is set the GPS device to record, uh, is preset to record a, a position, location, lat and long every one second. So as we go along, it records a set of basically a set of dots. I'd somehow imagine that in making a series about maps, I'd spend most of my time in remote and magnificent countryside where I could revel in the topography of the landscape then feast my eyes on the way it's represented on the map. But here I am again, back on the city streets. Cartographers seem to spend far more time surveying urban environments than rural areas. Well, stands to reason, I guess. Open landscapes change very little, while the urban jungle is in a state of near-permanent revolution. So what is it you're looking to map today? We're outside the, the British Library, and I have the, a printout of the OpenStreetMap data so far, and someone has pointed out to me that there's a small access road just off um, Alton Street, or Sultan Street, and we're going to go and map that and add it into the data. Okay. Or we could go along and just do a bit of recording if you want. Yeah, let's go and have a look. Okay. Steve Chilton is a cartographer. Indeed, he's chairman of the Society of Cartographers. So you'd expect him to realise that over the years... The streets of London have been pretty well mapped by everyone from Auden Survey to A to Z. So why is he walking down a small side road near the British Library? GPS in one hand, notebook in the other, creating yet another map of the city. Well, Steve is one of the legion of map makers who are compiling OpenStreetMap. OpenStreetMap is a kind of cartographic Wikipedia. It's crowdsourced, so anybody can add to it, and through the dedication of volunteers like Steve, it's building into a comprehensive internet map that could give even Auden Survey a run for its money. It's copyright free, and in certain respects, and in certain places, cities mainly, it carries even more detail than an OS map. Right, OK, so we're back at this hotel, yeah? Yeah, we're, so we're outside the Shaw Theatre, which is also the Novotel. Uh, and there's a small, what looks like a service road. It's got a one-way arrow, so that'll be another piece of data that we need to record. It's a one-way street. OpenStreetMap started in 2004 as the brainchild of a computer scientist and digital entrepreneur called Steve Coast. But, coming from a background in traditional cartography, Steve Chilton was initially deeply sceptical about the whole project. I looked at it and thought, well, he's going to go nowhere with that. It's, it's so ambitious, it's unreal, he's not going to get anywhere. This global, I'm going to map the world thing, one guy in London. But a couple of years later, he'd really moved on, he'd got a lot of people on board, and I thought, I should really be having a look at this started looking at it, thought I could be involved, I can add stuff, and uh, I started getting involved doing data in my area of North London. And so yeah. looking at this now, it appears you can drive down it, it's got a one-way sign, I will probably call it a service road. So what would you try, and, uh, looking down this street now, it's a fairly, you know, typical London street, lots of restaurants, shops, all kinds of things going on here. Uh, what would you be recording? What I would record my, myself, and people have different attitudes to what level of recording you should do. I would be recording anything that was a, a restaurant, a cafe, a pub, um, uh, a major uh, retail outlet. But one of the problems is that it's very volatile data, and the cafes change hands, yeah, the shops change hands. But the point is that someone else will come along and do the, the revised data later on. That's the whole point of crowdsourced data. Um, right. A, a commercial organisation would probably do one single pass of this road and record 
a snapshot of what was available at the time they did it. OpenStreetMap will be constantly updated by the people going out and noticing that the things are changing. People who would never have used a cartographer before to create a map can now create maps. And this is wonderful. You can use any of the internet mapping that's available and do things with it. And to that extent, it's fabulous. When you get a kid in front of a computer with Google Earth and you've got them for life, you really have. It's fabulous. Despite her enthusiasm, Mary Spence has more than a few concerns about internet mapping. Mary is a cartographer and former president of the British Cartographic Society. She created a bit of a stir 18 months ago by claiming that online mapping was wiping out thousands of years of British history, let alone its geography. She singled out Google Maps for particular criticism for not including historic landmarks from the area where she lives. For example, Worcester Cathedral and Tewkesbury Abbey. All they had was roads and road names. Mm. That was it. If you're going to an area that's new, part of the fun of going there is looking at a map or um, whether it be electronic or paper, just looking at that map and seeing what there is there and then planning your journey accordingly. Yeah. You know, rather than just finding yourself plonk in the middle of somewhere not knowing what this is all around. Uh, it's just those places of interest that I found sadly lacking. Yes, you cannot possibly show every place of interest on a map. A map has to be a selection and a generalisation of what's on the ground. But the skill is for the person who's not from that area is to select some of everything that's important or you consider could be important to a, a newcomer to that area so that you would put on the cathedrals, you would put on the major landmarks, the railway stations and, and such like, just to give people an overall geographical awareness of what it is that's going on around them. Ed Parsons is Google UK's geospatial technologist. He says that most of Mary's historic landmarks were actually there on Google Maps, but admits that they weren't evident if you were just browsing. You had to go and actively search them out. Since then, we've done a lot of work to, um, I suppose, surface or expose a lot of the information that was previously hidden. Um, so now, many of those sort of cultural features you will find on the map just by browsing. And if you click on them, all the information that we had previously is still there. So you'll be able to find you know, the actual postal address, the telephone number. You'll be able to get directions to it, find out you know, where the nearest bus stop is. And, and all that richness that's there because the maps are interactive. Um, so I think, yes, I think we're improving. And you know, we're never going to have the same level of cartographic content that an Ordnance Survey Land Ranger map is going to have. But people use our maps very, very differently because you'll come to Google Maps probably with a task in hand. You'll want to go to a particular location. You'll want to find a route between two particular places. So a map is almost created specifically for your own need at that point in time, and it will show the things that are relevant to that particular task. It's, it's interesting if you look at, say, mapping in Google Maps in, in India or the Middle East. There you'll see more landmarks for example, than you do uh, in the North American mapping or in Europe. And that's because in, in those cultures, landmarks are more important. In many places, very few streets have names that people use. And you're much like, more likely to give people directions by saying, you know, you turn left at the electronic shop on the corner and I live opposite the school. So it's, it's more important to have those landmarks there. So... A big element of what we do is to try and get our users to contribute to the maps themselves. 
You, know, you tell us what are the important landmarks. And in some parts of the world, you help us actually create the maps because there is no other source. Thanks to the internet, we have an almost unlimited supply of maps at our fingertips. And more people are using maps now than at any time in history. So that should make us all incredibly map literate. But are we? No, we're not, I don't believe. I think the problem is that because people are exposed to, like Google Maps, first thing at school, they take that as the norm. And because that serves the purpose of getting them from A to B, they don't look any further afield. They don't realise that there are other things to explore that don't appear on those maps. So I feel that if the Google Map is the norm, then that is very sad. There's so much more to explore. After all, what is a map for? A map is to inform and explain things to you. Yeah. you, you like, people love to pore over maps, and a good map is a map that instantly looks quite simple, but the more you look at it, the more you find and the more intrigue there is in there, and it just whets your appetite to just go and explore. OK, what I'm going to do is bring up the GPS trace that we recorded in the field and just show the simple way of editing the data and annotating it. After roaming the streets of central London with his GPS, Steve Chilton has returned to base, in his case, Middlesex University, where he works. And he's sitting in the university's cafe, adding the information he's recorded to OpenStreetMap. And the little road we walk down near the British Library takes shape on the map before my eyes. You can see just a single GPS trace there. And what I'm going to do is zoom in and do shift and add. So that's Osselton Street to... Uh, Chalton or Charlton or whatever that other name of the road was. Oh, that's right. We were going to name the, the, the alley after you. Yeah, that's right. It's really Chilton my name. Street, <laughs> no, Charlton Street's a bit too close, isn't it, really? Yeah. Right. right, shift it, put the line there. Whoa, don't want to move that. <laughs> I put a, a new point in there. I'm now going to connect to it, and um, that's it in place. One of the great advantages of OpenStreetMap is that you have the possibility of adding huge amounts of detail. Keen cyclists have added the location of bike racks to the London map. And in Germany, some mappers have even reached the level of plotting the locations of individual trees. But if all this is starting to seem a bit, well, parochial... Here's a powerful example of just what's possible with a crowdsourced digital map. We need uh, what you call a medical supply. See, we got a lot of people here. We got a lot of death right here. That was my father's house. So we lose it. There's some person we, we, inside we, we, the we, house. We can't, we can't, we can't find it. We're all Haitian. We need help right here. We need help. In the days after the Haiti earthquake in January, aerial photographers flew over the worst affected areas of the country and made their photographs available online. Open street mappers then stepped in to pinpoint the positions of collapsed buildings and makeshift emergency camps so that aid agencies could direct their resources. Steve clicks away from the London map we've just updated with its cafes, pubs and bicycle racks. And a moment later, we're looking at a disaster area. OK, so here we are in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. This is a special render that was done within about a day of the um, uh, disaster by a guy called Leonard in Belgium who's basically taken the underlying OpenStreetMap data and these are the camps that have been identified um, from the, the, the aerial photograph imagery and um, the re 
um, yellow and red crosses are uh, collapsed buildings. Um, so you can see both symbols for camps and for collapsed buildings, and that's the central part of Port-au-Prince, showing some of the damage that's, that's really happened. Oh, and within, within, you know, within about a day and a half, it was possible to see where the worst damage was, where the camps were forming, with an area there with a whole lot of stuff happening. Um, and we were able to relay that to the um, agencies, and they could start working with that data. And that, that's just a fantastic resource, as far as I'm concerned. That's, that's absolutely staggering. I mean, to see it... You know, having seen all the news reports and what have you, that's brought it home in a, in a way that I don't think even those had, really. Stories like that one from Haiti show how the inherent accessibility and democracy of digital cartography is having revolutionary effects. And it's only going to get faster, flashier, brighter, and for the most part, better. Which is all good. But we must take care in our excitable stampede towards the future not to trample on the best of what has made Britain a world beater with its maps. It would be so easy to lose centuries of tradition and talent through lack of funding or political will, or just our own essential fickleness that is so often dazzled by anything new and shiny. What happens if, or perhaps when, the plug gets pulled? We should remember, as a Royal Geographical Society spokesman put it about digital mapping, that... Power fails, technology fails, and it's all controlled by the US military. You can't say that about a paper map. On the Map was presented by Mike Parker. The series is produced in Wales by Jeremy Grange. And Mike concludes his journey tomorrow by investigating maps of memory and imagination. He creates a memory map of his hometown Kidderminster in Worcestershire, and he pays a visit to a village that will be very familiar to many Radio 4 listeners, Ambridge, home of the Archers.